If you watch science fiction movies, then you know that exoskeletons are great for fighting aliens. But even without science fiction, there is a real market out there for real exoskeletons. And that is today. This, is, uh, this episode of Yay Space, the tech review, is recorded on January 30th. You are here to learn more about uh, the most important news about innovation, technology and social media. I'm Tarek Madani Mamluk and virtually by my side is not only my resident alien Vincent Imla, but also Megan Kennelly from German Bionic. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Please uh, introduce yourself to our audience, because uh, even though everyone knows, of course, me and Vincent, <laughs> our audience we, we is don't not know familiar that. with you. We don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So Megan Canelli, I'm the head of global marketing here at German Bionic. Been here uh, about a year and a half now and really excited to continue getting the word out about the company and about exoskeletons in general and just sort of, yeah, let people know that these things exist. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, if you're watching science fiction movies, then of course you know about exoskeletons. But one thing that, uh, that Vincent and I are always celebrating is that we are living in an age where things that have been science fiction in the past are actually newsworthy topics today. And so yeah. please tell us something about uh, like the core mission of, um, of German Bionic, what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. Sure. So... The way that we look at exoskeletons is a little less on the Iron Man front and a little more on keep, keeping people safe. So we take the approach of um, solving the issue of lower back injuries. It's the number one cause of injuries in the workplace. And so that's really how the company was stemmed. It started as a research project over in Germany and then got uh, built into a business after that because of the outcomes. So we've been around for about seven years in total. We were on our sixth generation of our exoskeleton, but it really targets that lower back area. So not only is it giving the workers support in an ergonomic posture, but it's also giving them additional power. And we do that through battery powered motors. And the device basically sits on you like a backpack, you strap into it, and it, the motors are helping to take the weight off of what you're picking up. Okay, and so obviously, um, in an industrial setting, this makes sense where I have to carry heavy things but i also read that uh i think healthcare is a very very important field yes. where where your suits are sold right yeah so we actually got our start in just purely logistics so moving heavy boxes repetitive heavy lifts in warehouses taking them off of trucks and that's still um, a big part of our business today We've since grown to see other use cases, whether it be in manufacturing or food and beverage, where they're having to carry things like heavy uh, cases of water or that type of thing, having to carry big bags of grain up into pouring them into vats. But healthcare was another one of those verticals that came up for us where uh, patient care is another area where nurses or caretakers are having to lift actual people instead of boxes and that still causes a lot of strain on the back especially when patients are having to hold on to their necks because they're not able to support their own body weight so by wearing the device it has handles on the back it's sort of taking that um, personal uh, space element out of it and making the nurses more comfortable but it's also alleviating some of that pain and struggle that they have when they're having to move patients from the bed to a chair in the morning or from a wheelchair back into the bed 
So I think there's endless opportunities where we've discovered it's not just things that you can pick up repetitively, but um, people as well. Yeah, yeah. As you just said, um, there's a wild field of applications, but how far is your technology already s spread? Is, are there many companies already using that? Or is oh, yeah. it still yeah. like Oh, yeah, we have plenty of customers all throughout Europe. So we have offices in Germany. We have sales offices in the UK, France. We sell all throughout Germany, uh, Europe, sorry. We just entered the uh, North American space about two years ago. So in the US and Canada, we have customers and we're also in Japan too. Yeah. So yeah, it varies too across um, the customer base of what industries they're in. Like I said, food manufacturing was a big one here in the U.S. that we saw that maybe wasn't a focus before. Construction has become popular too recently, where they're having to pick up like sheets of roofing or heavy bricks that they're having to move. So I think it's just we're still learning too what else um, is out there that it could be beneficial for. When you're uh, with your customer base being all around the globe, more or less, I mean, North America and Europe, uh, Japan, you mentioned, I think. Um, how is manufacturing of your devices happening? I would like to know, like, where do you have your own factories? How is that? Are you building it yourself? I, I can see that the logistics of this being enormous and also they're being delegate as, as far as I understand. So how is that? How is that going? Sure. So it has recently changed a little bit. So when we got start our own start, we did do all of the production and manufacturing in-house. We now have a new partner about a year and a half ago, I want to say, um, Mubea. They are the largest, one of the largest manufacturers of car parts. So basically any car that's on the road, Mubea has created some little piece of it, whether it be a spring or part of the seat. And so they have um, extensive knowledge in manufacturing, especially for lighter components. And that's key here. We always want to be lighter and leaner for putting something on the body. So they've been a huge strategic partner with us. So we've basically moved all of our manufacturing to them. And it's all done in Germany, in the north of Germany. And in the future, I think we'll also look to do some of that manufacturing here in the U.S. because they do have a presence in Kentucky. So we're looking to see like what we can do with them to start getting new parts and lighter parts to just continue to evolve that whole process. But all of our R&D is still done by German Bionic in-house. Yeah, I, I could imagine the only... So sorry, Vincent, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. No, don't worry about it. I just, I just would have, would have followed up with um, that. I think it's interesting that it evolved this way, and if you have some more details on why you decided to move away from doing it in house, that would be super interesting. Yeah, so and also, if you can share how many uh, of your devices are you producing a year, uh, or in any metrics, that would be just interesting to know. Yeah, so I can't share specific numbers just because it's a very competitive market. We're a private business, but I will say like we have this smiley curve um, sort of business analysis, and I'll have to get you the name of who came up with it because I'm drawing a blank right now. But basically it says that the most value in a company is sales and marketing and development. The lowest value and the most cost is typically manufacturing. So that's why it sort of stemmed from, it's very expensive for a small company to be doing all this manufacturing in-house. When you can bring in a bigger player that already has relationships and can 
um, speed up the process, do it faster, help you in building those tools to make more and more of it. I think that's just really where the decision came from. And by having a partnership with Mubea, we're able to go from having just a couple, maybe a week, to now thousands being produced. So it's really helping us be able to scale. Cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very eager to jump in and talk a little bit about the engineering. I myself, I'm an engineer and I'm, I, I'm super interested in learning how this device is actually working. I could imagine that it is uh, somehow like a motor that uh, supports my natural movement. So if I move, this power suit is moving as well, right? Just yeah. um, ex ex intensifying like my, my body movements. Uh, but I read that there are also uh, AI components in there, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Yeah. So from a basic perspective, the way I like to describe it is there's a gyroscope in the back. So imagine you have the device on your back, there's a gyroscope. Every time you put the device on, it's gonna measure your upright position. And the way the device works is there's sensors. So when you go over and you bend over to pick something up and you come back up, that gyroscope and the motors are basically pulling you back to that upright position that it measured. And there's sensors throughout the device that is doing what exactly you said, is following the body. So the device is not meant to move you it's meant to follow you. So you could go bend down and do a lift and stop halfway up, the device is gonna stop. It's never gonna pull you back to that upright position without you first initiating that movement. So from the basic sense, sensors and a gyroscope is how it's helping to pull you back up to that upright position. And the motors are taking the weight off of your lower back. And it's also helping to lift your actual body weight from that bent over position to the upright position. So that's how it kind of works on basic level. And I'm not an engineer, so that's pretty much in depth as I can go. But when it comes to the AI component, there's a few ways that we're using it. So from a drive system perspective, we're using AI where it's constantly learning about the body and the movements of that individual person. So every time you go and put on the device, every person has their own unique pin and that helps save their preferences, but it's also learning from that person too. So every person has a different angle of how they're bending down and how they're moving and if they're moving quicker or moving slower. So that every time you put on the device, it's learning about your movement so that it can adjust those sensors so that it's better supporting you every time that you're putting it on. From another perspective, we're using it from almost collecting and developing trends. So great example of that is our smart break recommendation. So the sensors on the uh, device, there's also sensors that collect ergonomic data. So we have a whole insights platform that can give you information about um, your workplace and the user. But what it's doing is it's starting to collect baselines of the worker and it can start seeing, okay, this worker is starting to have maybe like improper lifts. They're starting to twist more. They're getting a little uh, lazy in their lifts. And if it's starting to trigger, like that baseline is starting to get all wacky, they can now give them some sort of warning that says, hey, now might be a time to take a break. We're starting to notice some unhealthy patterns so that the it's just another layer of keeping the people safe. Yeah. Um As we are living in Europe, uh, of course, the, the topic of privacy is very uh, interesting. Sure. And 
the the first question from privacy perspective would be if you are collecting all these all this data about me as a person how far i'm moving how how many boxes i'm i'm carrying or something like this uh, did you ever discuss uh, like this negative aspect that this device can be used to monitor my work performance in a way that is not supposed to be monitored sure so Because we're in Germany, we have to follow GDPR compliance. So we're 100% GDPR compliance, which is <laughs> very intense. So the way it's described to us is basically the data is anonymous. Um, those pins, it's never linked to a specific person. Now, if the company then decides to link it to a specific person, that's not really our, I guess, I don't want to say responsibility, but... Yeah, it's something that it's on your choice. Yeah, like it is a concern in some of them. But I think when you look at the data that's collected, it's less about productivity and more about efficiency and making sure that things are safe. We like to look at things like the amount of steps because we want to see is this certain group of people having to walk a lot more in the workplace and can you maybe rearrange your workplace so that it's becoming more efficient because you moved the environment around rather than having to like force people to work harder and have it walk that kind of stuff so we want it to be used to imply positive changes versus being used from an individual perspective yeah Absolutely. But the, the one thing that popped into my mind was when you said that this device is going to give me an alarm because I make like unhealthy movements or uh, my, my posture is not optimal. If this information would uh, flow back to my health insurance, for example, they could use this to increase like my rates because they see, okay, this person is going to have back problems because he's <laughs> not using like a good posture by uh, carrying heavy stuff. Sure. Right? I don't think it's, it's not... <laughs> There's no APIs or anything to health insurance, but right. I see your concern for sure. Um, I think it's yeah. less about like constantly doing those things. And that's why the AI piece of it is what we're always trying to evolve and find ways that it's going to be helpful to the users rather than harmful. So anything, any kind of like data that we present, we want it to be helpful and mitigate any of those risks. I think on the flip side of the insurance thing, you could actually see that by implementing these devices, it's actually something that could lower your premiums because the device, even if you're having like poor movements, that's what the device is for. It's meant to, it basically works better when your lifting is poor. So if you're doing everything perfect, like the device is just there as like a stopgap if something happens. If you're having like improper lifts where you're bending completely straight down and coming back up, that's when the device is working the hardest because it's trying to keep you safe. So that's something that I think it's being looked at as something that you're implementing as a risk mitigator. So I think like from the insurance perspective, it's something that always gets brought up of in the future, this could be something that you could actually see a reduction in premium costs because you've implemented such a right. like, safety tool. Right, right. Uh, I think you won an award last year, right? At the CES 2023 Uh, yes. Like the innovation award. Was this like the the um, point where you got the publicity that the world is uh, starting paying attention to this new technology or were you already uh, popular in this field before this award? 
So it varies a little bit by region. So within Europe, Germany uh, specifically, I think we were already pretty well known. Um, you can see so just from like the inquiries that we get, we're much more known in Europe and throughout Germany because we've been there longer. I think where the CES award helped us was in that entry into the North American space. It helped sort of light a fire under that awareness and gave us like that jump start where we had just entered a little less known. Um, I think just in terms of the market, uh, North America is a little bit behind in exoskeleton awareness versus Germany and Europe. So I think it's still catching up and it's something that we we're always trying to educate here versus, I mean, obviously continuing to educate over in Germany and Europe, but just the general awareness I think is far greater in Europe than it is in the U S or Canada right now. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to uh, force you to give us like actual numbers for the pricing of the devices, because I could imagine that this is like an individual thing uh, regarding yeah. Yeah. Oh, you you can share that. Yeah. So so how absolutely. much how how much would I have to pay to uh, to buy one of these things? Because I'm kind of intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> so we do have two different models. Um, so you yeah. can either buy it outright or we have a leasing option. So to buy it outright, it does uh, vary based off of the amount of devices that companies buy. So I want sure. I usually say it ranges anywhere from like ten thousand to fifteen thousand. If you wanted to just buy it outright. But if you do the leasing option, it can get as low as about $250 to $300 a month. And the device can be shared amongst different people. So you don't necessarily have to look at it like, well, I have 500 employees, I need 500 devices. We kind of look at it by use case. So if you have multiple shifts and you have different people that are working different use cases that will need it, the device doesn't necessarily need to be tied to one single person. Every person can share it. They have their own pin. So you can grab a device when you need it, when you're doing that task, and then put it back and the next person can grab it. So that also helps sort of break down the monthly cost too, looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this pricing is of course something where I as a private person will not just go shopping and, sure. and uh, take this, right? Are you uh, investing like into uh, innovation to make this more affordable that you create like a like a private version that is not as powerful as this but for the private uh, person uh, um, to... I think from just like the market uh, more of like the commercial space is I think there's more use cases for it from a personal mm. perspective is not an area that we've gone down yet um, I think there are devices out there so One thing I probably should have touched on in the beginning is there's two different kinds of exoskeletons. One are uh, battery active solutions that are using motors, but there's also passive systems that are using things like springs and pulleys and your own body weight to give you support. So from a commercial perspective, the passive systems are often a little bit cheaper, um, but they do offer less of the weight compensation that a motorized device can provide. So that could be an option that's a little bit more suited to commercial or customer uses. But I think who knows the like the goal, like I said, is always to get leaner and lighter, but it's obviously to also get cheaper. And that's part of where the strategic partnership with Mubea comes in. So I think down the line, obviously the goal is to make it more um, achievable for everyone to be able to get it. But who knows, maybe it's something that we can 
offer as a rental through a Home Depot or Lowe's or your local hardware yeah. store yeah. as a tool, like you would any other kind of piece of equipment. Yeah, I think this use case is absolutely realistic because I, I probably won't have to use this device every day. Exactly. But uh, as like with power right. tools. If I'm changing my <laughs> tires or anything like that. Or if right? you're moving, yeah. great uh, for <laughs> use case. We've had some moving companies here in the U.S. Um, who've brought it on for that specific use case. So. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, what is next for you? I mean, uh, there are a lot of industries out there, a lot of different technologies you could now look at. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there are basic things you could do. You could, I don't know, go crazy and partner up with Neuralink, um, looking at the news from today, whatever. So um, is there anything you currently look at and uh, you can share on uh, what are your thoughts on yeah, industries? Yeah, so I think... Aside from always just trying to improve the hardware element of it, I think the software element is obviously a piece that can constantly and easily, not easily, but could more easily be evolved. So things like the data insights and what we're delivering to customers and the user, plenty of opportunity to continue to grow and see we're collecting all this data, but what can we do with it? I think the AI piece is also very intriguing. So things like that smart break recommendation, what else would be helpful to users that we could use the data and the AI to deliver. Um, we're also trying to develop things like gamification apps to make it um, something that you look forward to using every day that's going to be fun and you can earn different badges by um, competing with your coworkers, that kind of stuff. So I think we're always like trying to just improve, like I said, this is our sixth generation of exoskeleton. So trying to just continue to improve from an R&D perspective, but also just seeing what other use cases are out there. The healthcare was a new one for us that we saw a need in specifically after COVID. So as time goes on and as we just continue to get the word out, I think I'm interested to see what else comes out of, hey, this would be super helpful for our workers and trying to see like the innovations and optimizations that come from that yeah one field uh that i would expect uh this to be used in the future would be uh for example for firefighters or uh, yeah. for example I, i don't know if this is like realistic that i can then lift the burning no, car had, or something like that we've had conversations um it's less like on the job like specifically for firefighters or paramedics it's more of the logistics on the back end so like the mm. the interest that we saw from the firefighters were they're having to do all of this movement of equipment in the actual firehouse the hoses this way uh, a ton and they're having to move them out throughout the firehouse so it's less of like the on action like ready to suit up kind of work and more of the back end kind of stuff where we're starting to see it but who knows as it gets like easier to put on um you can put it on in about 20 seconds but you know that every second counts when it comes to first response so who knows um in the future what else we could do but that's certainly an area that we've looked at Yeah, yeah, because I, I could imagine that uh, especially uh, fields where, I mean, you already said it's it's for keeping my body safe to to um, prevent injuries. But if I'm in physical danger, 
if I work for the military or if I run into a burning building or something like this, my the increase of my physical strength could also uh, save myself or others uh, for, from injuries. That's why I would have expected that there, I don't know, you have like a special department for active utilization of these uh, power suits in, in dangerous Not uh, us right now, but there are many different exoskeletons out there, specifically some that work uh, directly with like the Department of Defense, that kind of stuff where they're developing exoskeletons. I mean, I've seen them at some of our uh, partner sites where they're doing the testing of these um, devices. There's specific boots that will help like push off so that you can run faster yeah. and bionic arms and that kind of, it's very cool. So I think the possibilities as a market in general are endless and they're always working in collaboration to figure out how they can help in those fields. I think for us right now, we're focused a little bit more on like the back end logistics um still could be a use case for army or military where they're having to like move things onto planes or they're having to move things around um in their own warehouses but you bring up a, a great point with the whole like action side of things i don't think that's something that we've looked at yet yeah yeah and i think i read also that uh you don't have you It's, there's also another device that is not a power suit, but uh, like a sensory vest or something that I can yeah, use so to Yeah, so those sensors that analyze. collect the yeah. ergonomic data, we're also coming out with a vest that doesn't give you the support or mm -hmm. the power, but it's still giving you the information. So if you want to see a whole picture of your workplace, it's still going to give you that ergonomic data. So you could either use it as a full picture or you could use it as a way to decide like what areas in the business might need additional support with an exoskeleton yeah. so it's basically yeah. everything from a sensor perspective minus the support right right and i think this would be very um nice to also have like as a private person not like this exact vest but having this information about how much time am i walking around uh, how much um, different movements am I doing? What about my posture? Where exactly is uh, do I uh, do things wrong? Sure. Um, yeah. is, is this something where, where you are thinking about rolling it out to uh, other customers than like the B2B um, business? Uh, B2B, yes. The B2C, I don't think we've necessarily touched down mm -hmm. yet because I don't know how much of an interest. I mean, when you look at the things like the Apple Watch and all the data that it's collecting there, I don't know if someone would necessarily want to put on another thing from a vest perspective, but B2B, absolutely. People anywhere where they can collect data to get a better insight into their operations is a win-win for the people that we're talking to. So it's absolutely something that we're looking at and they're continuing to develop and, and get some of those initial customers to finalize the, the data and everything that is going to be delivered yeah. with it. It was actually like uh, my, my own perspective. I have a very bad posture because I'm spending oh, like 16 too. hours per day uh, <laughs> at my computer. And I always see these products like cheap things from China where you they pull your, your uh, shoulders back so that you correct your posture. And this feels very uh, poorly designed. It's, it's like a brute force for changing your posture. And I always think... Is, isn't there like a smarter solution to actually understand how my skeleton is working and where I, my shoulders are crooked or, or something like that? Um, and I could imagine that a device like this could actually explain to me how, why I have the back pain that I, I sure. have. Right? Yeah, I'll have to bring that <laughs> to our development team. 
<laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Give me a call if, if you need someone to test this. <laughs> Discovery call. <laughs> right, right. Maybe one, one last field because Vincent and I just uh, before this uh, recording, we had a very, very uh, heated discussion about um, like cyberpunk future vision uh, because today uh, the Neuralink brain implant from Elon Musk uh, was Uh, was firstly tested on a human being. And we were talking about the applications of, in the future, um, this might be used to help people who lost um, their ability to use their legs. Um, and if I am now seeing these power suits, is this something where you see a possibility that, uh, um, what's the English word, paraplegic people uh, who can't walk use devices like that so that they can stand up from their wheelchair or something is this something yeah so uh, those, you're doing those do exist now so they're i guess like bringing it back even further from like a passive versus an active there's rehabilitation side of exoskeletons and the almost like what we call preventative side so yeah. we're on the preventative side where we want to hopefully mitigate someone being in that position but there are exoskeletons that exist to help people be able to walk again and move their elbows or move their hands there's plenty on the market now and i think that's a whole other market that's continuing to evolve and get smarter and it's incredible to see some of the innovations that they're coming up with to actually help people that have already had those issues yeah all right Vin vincent Do you have yeah. any other questions? I am extremely satisfied. Thank you very much. Be because there's there's one thing that I would uh, love to ask you, uh, Megan, and this would be what advice would you give to young innovators uh, or entrepreneurs uh, who are looking into this field of wearable robotics? Do you have any advice for people who would like to jump into this profession? Absolutely. I mean, I think always being curious is a good piece of advice and not being... Uh, not shying away from trying something. I think get involved too. We always have rounds of internships that come through, people that are writing your thesis papers. So express your interest. And I think now with the innovations that are coming in the technology, schools are now, now starting to have programs or different projects that students can get involved in where They're working in tandem with companies like us to get a suit and almost like deconstruct it and start to build studies around it. So just get involved and be always be willing to try something new. And yeah, I think just an open mind and a willingness to be involved is something in any field that is a good quality. So specifically here, I think it also is a, is a good tip. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing all of uh, all of this information about exoskeletons and what is happening here. Uh, Megan, thank you for joining us in our show. And uh, if you, dear listener, uh, think that this was valuable for you, you should definitely subscribe to us so that you never miss an episode of uh, Yay Space The Tech Review. Until next time, stay awesome. <laughs>